All right, and welcome, guys, to another episode of the Thick and Thin Podcast. Oh, what a weekend. Let me tell you, dealing with addicts this weekend, it's a fucking mission. Um, I'm so fried right now. Just this morning, it's been chaotic. But nonetheless, we power through with the podcast. So, I wanted to give you guys a quick run-through of one of the stories I tell during my performance. Leave a comment, let me know what you guys think about it. Let's talk first, actually, about the fight that happened on Saturday, which is the heavyweight bout between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Wow, what a fight. I had Tyson Fury winning the decision, but it came out that he ended up TKOing Deontay Wilder. Just a pretty crazy event. You know, I expected Tyson Fury to come out and be evasive and to try to outbox uh, Wilder. But instead, you know, great game plan. He came out and tried to bully the smaller fighter which he did with great success, stepping in with his jab and really cracking that, which got him turning away from that and led him to be open for the right hand, which was woo, just furious. And he ended up putting Deontay down a couple times. Deontay was just off balance, staggering, and eventually got put away with the, the his corner actually threw in the towel as the ref was stopping it. So great fight. Uh, super happy that Tyson Fury won that one. He's my, uh, my go-to for the heavyweight division. Next, he's probably going to fight Joshua, who I think he's going to destroy as well. So we'll see what happens with that. Now, so uh, if you guys don't know, I'm actually going to UCB. Well, I go there some, from time to time, which is a school in Hollywood. And they specialize in improv. They also have sketch writing classes, different electives you could take. One of the Well, when I first got sober, I was trying to figure out things I could do to keep myself occupied, right? So I was trying to think back to the last time I was really happy when I was sober, and that was during drama class in 8th and ninth grade. So I was like, okay, I'll get into some improv, something like that. I took a couple improv courses. They are pretty cool. I met some cool people, did some uh, fun sketches and stuff like that. But overall, it just really wasn't my thing anymore. And then I found the storytelling class, which is uh, very similar to stand-up, which, as you guys know, I love to do. And it's more about finding your rhythm and narrating stories and, and making it interesting for people to listen to. And uh, I did two performances during this class, and they both came out really well. So I'm going to tell you one today. So <clears throat> let's see. Where do we begin? All right. So I was raised by my grandparents, right? And growing up, that kind of makes you tend to be or leans you more to the rebellious side, right? So as I got to be in my early teens, my grandfather started taking the reins, and I spent a lot more time with him. In fact, one of my last memories with him was he was in a wheelchair, you know, pointing, directing me on what to do in the yard. And he says to me, son, the hardest things to balance in life are love and money. And I was like, wow, that shit was deep, you know. I kind of look off into the, <laughs> the skyline. And then immediately after that, he says, don't hold the broom like that. What are you, some kind of asshole? <laughs> hey, growing up, you know, I never really understood my pops. Because he didn't care about dressing nice or having new cars or even eating out. In fact, I walked on him one time. I was trying to get five bucks from him so I could get two for five uh, famous stars at Carl's Jr. So I walk in his room and he's eating beans out of the can. <laughs> and I'm like, Pops, can I get five bucks? Because uh, I want to hit up 
Carl's Jr. And you would think I asked him to go to the Ritz or something. Like the look of disgust on his face. Just, there's an extra can of beans up there. Just eat that, you know. (laughs) He legit wanted me to eat beans. If you heard that podcast with Cece, you know it's true. So, uh, he didn't spend a lot of money on things like that, you know. But one thing he did spend money on was trips. He used to take me fishing, uh, snowboarding, Catalina. Basically anywhere and everywhere he could. And as we got into middle square um, age, we got a little bit where we could be, you know, unsupervised. We started taking us to Rosarito, which was a lot of fun. We would, you know, go to the beach, uh, jacuzzi. We'd we'd mop around the area, and we'd we'd do little things like get cigarettes, uh, boot cigarettes, and maybe a mixed drink that you could buy at the liquor store and stuff like that. And we'd sneak them back. So by eighth grade, we had the reputation of being, you know, bad boys because. We skateboarded, and six of us would split a boot cigarette after school behind the ball bin. <laughs> and you know, how eighth grade is uh, as you graduate, you're top of the the food chain, and everyone's singing Green Day, "Time of Your Life." Oh, I'm gonna miss you so much. Oh my god! And then the next year comes around, you never see another female. You're underdeveloped. You're the bottom of the barrel again. So we're trying to figure out how to be cool, and we catch word that the older guys. Uh, specifically the varsity football team, the varsity uh, baseball team, we're looking for steroids. So, boom, we're going to Mexico anyway. This is our opportunity to get in with the in crowd, right? So me and my buddies, it was Brett and my buddy Andrew V. We go to Rosarito. By now we had a little bit of a system. What we would do is we'd get stash cans. For those of you guys that aren't familiar, stash cans are basically Coca-Cola, 7-Up, a normal-looking soda, and the top actually screws off. Uh, so what we would do is we'd get a normal six-pack of soda. Uh, we'd pull a couple of the, the the real sodas out, right? And we'd get these stash cans. We'd fill them full of steroids, close them up. We'd glue the rim of the stash can and put them back in that little plastic loop so it looked like a normal six-pack. Then we would get things like bags of Cheetos. You empty all the Cheetos out. You put glue all over the bottom of the bag. Uh, you put a layer of Cheetos down so it feels you know, as if it was just a normal bag. You throw all your paraphernalia. We would go to pharmacies. We'd get steroids, ketamine, pretty much anything we get our hands on that they would sell it to us, you know, painkillers, that sort of thing. And then you get a layer or you get a paper towel, rather. Put it down, put glue all over that. You crumble Cheetos on top of it, put a few on there, put that in the bag, and then glue the bag shut so it looks just like a, a regular bag of Cheetos. And then we'd get things like switchblades and brass knuckles, and we'd tuck them away in a sock. <laughs> So we did all this master, you know, uh, hiding, and then we just put our the other illegal stuff in socks, which is, you know, yeah, yes. <laughs> and then we get to the border, right? So we would all dress up too. So when we get to the border, we have our hair combed to the side. We're all wearing matching polos, look like a shitty doo-wop band. And normally, border patrol they see about a thousand people a day, right? So they just kind of look at you. They could tell who's an immigrant, who's not. They wave you through. Maybe they ask you a security question. So my grandpa starts talking to the Border Patrol guy, running smooth as always. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy. He's obviously, you know, he's a military gentleman. He's dressed in his camos. He's short. He's got really fat arms and his sleeves rolled up really high. And he's wearing Oakley glasses and he's kind of marching really fast, like, you know, like a real short guy does, <laughs> over to us at the car. And then he goes up to our Border Patrol agent and they start having a conversation. The agent that we're talking to is like, okay, and walks away. Now we're dealing with this military guy. And he starts barking questions at my pops, you know. 
And before my grandpa can answer a question, he would ask another one. And then finally, I'm already freaking out at this point, right? Because first of all, we've never had any kind of hiccup like this. And not only that, this guy's being a fucking dick. So before I could, you know, even contemplate or, you know, configure what's actually happening, my grandpa starts telling this guy off. He's like, hey, motherfucker, I'm a U.S. citizen. Watch how you talk to me. And all I heard was, Grandpa, stop! (laughs) Which apparently was coming from me. And now all the other Border Patrol agents are looking at our car because we're causing this big, you know, uh, disruption. And the guy kind of, Border Patrol guy, kind of backs off from my grandpa. Like, what the hell? My grandpa starts going off, you know. You know, I'm a U.S. citizen. I know my rights and you're in violation of this and that. And the captain, I guess, of the Border Patrol guys or whoever he is, he comes in between the agent and my grandfather says go up and pull to the right so we get up we get in our car we pull to the right and that's the detainee spot that's where they strip search the car take you out and that whole thing so i'm just completely you know like fuck it and my grandpa's still mouthing off i'm just like fuck pops you know we got drugs in the car <laughs> so they the nether agent comes over and he goes pop your trunk so he pops we pop our trunk and you could feel the trunk shaking because they're going through it and I'm at this point, I'm overstimulated. I'm ready to rat out my friends, confess my sins. I don't give a fuck. I just want it to be over, right? Take me to jail. <laughs> so I see the guy grab someone out of the car. I'm like, okay, here we go. He walks up to the driver's side window, uh, picks it up in eye view, and it's a bag filled with three grapefruits. And he says, you can't take this in America. Have a good day. And that was it. Of course, we're relieved, but we weren't celebrating. We knew shit had got real, and real consequences could have followed that. And you know, later on, I found out that my grandfather was actually an activist. And when he was in the military, he'd got a dishonorable discharge, and he had marched to the Pentagon and got an honorable discharge. And he was, that's like things that matter to him, you know, sort of social justice kind of things. And, you know, I respected him a lot as we got older and I learned more about him. And what a great man he was. And I hope that, you know, somewhere down the line, I picked up some of his uh, ethics and morals. Well, just in fact, the other day, I was with my buddy, and he's driving, and he's talking about his girlfriend. And, you know, how he loves her, but she likes the finer things in life. And he always has to shell out more than he can afford. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, you know, the two hardest things to balance in life is love and money. And then I said... Don't merge lanes like that, bro. What are you, some kind of asshole? (laughs) So I usually kind of act it out, and I have a little bit more uh, uh, other things that go with it. But it's a pretty crazy story. I didn't even realize it was crazy until I told somebody else, and they're like, what the fuck? And I'm just like, oh, that was normal shit when we were growing up, you know? So uh, a couple other stories I have. I asked you guys to to answer that, um, what's the craziest live show you you've seen i saw some i heard some really cool uh, feedback which you know generally i'm curious about because i like to know people's experiences if they go to shows where do they go see and uh got a lot of great stuff but it also helps spark things in my imagination and when i was a little bit younger i used to go to shows all the time anything live would go see shitty bands great bands rock bands rappers uh you know the, the kind of joke bands that sort of thing and one time we went to go see lincoln park well, it's actually Acoustic Christmas, and I was with my buddy Nick Melly. And Noodles, I call him Noodles, had taken me to a Green Day show a year before. And that was like one of my first big concerts. And it was really cool. Jimmy rolled up, and, up for him. 
and it got me into that world. So I told him, you know, come with me to Acoustic Christmas. I got tickets. So in we go. Uh, Paramore was there. Then it was Avenged Sevenfold, Angels and Airwaves, Surge from System of the Down. Linkin Park was headlining. Oh, Bad Religion was there. So it's a great show, right? And the venue is super small. It's uh, at the Universal Studios. I'm not sure what the venue is that's attached to it, but that's where we were. And we get there, and our seats are pretty shitty. We're, we're all the way back. You know, I got what I could at the time. <laughs> so we're all the way back. Paramore goes on, which that girl Haley is actually a really good performer. She was, you know, had good energy and stuff like that. So we're all pumped up, but we're far away. We're like, fuck, man, we need to get up. So once they were over, Paramore did this thing where they had a, a VIP uh, extra like $100. You could do a meet and greet with them. So after their set, everybody gets up to get in line to go see Paramore. And this puts the security a little bit of a disarray. And I look at Noodles and I'm like, yo, let's go down there. And he's like, let's do it. So security is a little distracted. We get right by him. Cool. We get to the VIP section. Now with the VIP section, it's probably like 10, 15 rows. And it holds about, you know, 50 people uh, total. So it's it's not very big at all. And we're sitting down. We see the we're right next to the, the stage. So we're, we're there. And then people come to get their seats. You know, they come later in the show. So we have to keep moving. Every 30 minutes we move. You could buy beers down there, but there's no bathroom. Because if you sneak in, they want you to have to be able to walk past security with your wristband. So we had to stay down there the whole time. After a couple beers, you know, I had to start peeing. So I get my beer cup and I pee in the cup. And me and Noodles are, are sitting in front row and this, this couple comes up to us, this guy. And he goes, hey, you're in our seats. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, hey, you forgot your beer. And I look at him I'm like, that's not my beer. <laughs> and he hands it to Noodles and Noodles is like, oh, he knows it's my pee. <laughs> So Noodles is walking around with a cup of my piss for like 20 minutes because there's no trash cans. You can't throw it on the ground. So he's just like, ah, ah, yelling at me to take it. I'm like, I didn't fucking tell you to pick it up, you know. <laughs> but we saw Chester Bennington and Lincoln Park and that was a great show. I mean, he's definitely the best uh, performer I've seen as far as talented. Well, he held this scream for like a minute, 30 seconds. Fucking unbelievable. Uh, great show. Another time we were at... Uh, what was it called? LA Live. I don't know what it was. Uh, fuck, I forget what they called it. But it was Rage Against the Machine, Immortal Technique, Rise Against, Lauren Hill, and Muse. Uh, it was at the Coliseum. The Coliseum was sold out. We're sitting nosebleed sections again. And me and my buddy Brett are trying to sneak down. And when we sneak down, uh, what we do generally is, you know, you, you walk past. You kind of wave your wrist up. They're not really paying attention for the most part. So you can get by them. If that doesn't work, you know, you turn your shirt inside out. You turn your hat backwards, whatever you do. This is what uh, a method that Richard Ray is. We saw him do. So he, we're all trying. He, my buddy Richard, gets to the front. I'm like, fuck, we got to do it. But at this point, we're on like the second, third band. And it start, the security starting to pick up. They ramp up as the show goes on. Because by the time Rage and Muse come out, the place is fucking packed, right? So we're looking, trying to figure out our way in, and we see these guys. They have boxes that are obviously beer, and they're walking straight past security and everywhere else, right down to the bottom bars. They put them down, and they get up, and they walk back out. So we're like, fuck, let's get some boxes. So we start looking around the Coliseum for boxes. Can't find nothing, right? So we get to the, we go to the school part. We go through a dumpster. There's boxes of old books. So we throw all the books out. We grab the boxes. We run back to the, the place where the music's playing. And our buddy Frankie was there with his wife, uh, Jessica, and they're sitting up top, and I guess they said they saw us. 
We put the boxes on our shoulder. We walk past all the security straight down to the field. And right when we get through everyone, we look around. We can't believe it. We throw the boxes like, ah! <laughs> and we saw Rage uh, basically front row. And if you guys have never been to a Rage concert, it's fucking nuts. The crowd is almost organic. It's like a wave. It just moves. And if you think you can mosh pit, like everyone everyone around you is mosh pitting. This one poor bastard was uh, was like, stop pushing before they came out. And I already knew. I was like, this is going to be bad. So everyone just started fucking ramming into him. And we're next to him. And this is when Carmageddon was going on. Uh, that's when they shut down the 405 and the 5, I believe. So... I was just screaming, Carmageddon! <laughs> We're getting crushed. And then when Rage comes out, everyone's just throwing elbows. And they jumped on this tower. The tower fell. Fucking great show. But that's just some of the shit I got into going to shows. Uh, I, I used to love to go into mosh pits. And my buddy Brett would, we call it the boomerang, where you cross arms. And he's basically holding my wrist and he swings in a circle. So I'm like a battering ram, like a mace, you know? And I'm just slamming into people. And eventually we cleared out the mosh pit. and you know, mostly it was our friends trying to beat the shit out of each other in the mosh pit, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a couple of my concert stories. Next week, guys, on the 27th, I think, or this Thursday of February. It's the 27th, I'm pretty sure. I'm going to be performing in Phoenix, Arizona for my first show at a state, which is pretty exciting. I got five minutes on stage. My buddy Noodles, his wife Sandra, my buddy Brad... Uh, his wife, Nicole, and a couple other people, I guess, are going to go. So I'm pretty nervous, but I'm pretty excited. I hear that every other comedy scene other than L.A. is great. You you can get up. The crowds are good, that sort of thing. So I'm excited to, to try it out. I think later this year, my plan is to actually, um, at least once a month, to rent a car and to drive out of state. Do a couple open mics. You know, Maybe I'll drive to Colorado, do a few open mics there, drive back. Drive to Texas, a couple open mics there, drive back. That sort of thing to get some exposure as well as stage time, that kind of thing. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll see uh, see how that goes. But while I'm in Arizona, my friend Sandra, who's a doctor, Dr. Melly, she's going to come on the podcast. So I'm going to uh, do a poll this week, uh, ask a doctor. So if you guys have any questions uh, medically, just ask her. Obviously, she's not a specialist in nutrition and stuff like that. But I'm going to ask her about that, some effects of drugs and alcohol in the body, all that kind of good stuff. So... Stay tuned for that and more, guys. I really appreciate the time. I, if you could like and comment the podcast, it's such a big fucking help, guys. It's like buying tickets early to a fight and uh, not texting them on the day of. You know what I mean? So if you could like and review, leave a comment. I really appreciate it. Love you guys. Take care. Happy Monday. Peace.